Well, welcome everyone to episode two of the Rest Podcast. And today's quote is, walk in a manner worthy that you have been individually called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain unity of spirit and peace. Virginia, can you introduce us to today's topic? Yes, I'd love to. I love relationships. I love talking about relationships because they impact every single facet of our lives. Today, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how healthy relationships are vital to a vibrant life, how negative family relationships can impact our emotional and physical health, and how we can begin to heal relational trauma from our past, perhaps unhealthy relationships, and even from relationships that we have no knowledge of that our parents had to negotiate or our relatives had to. So we'll be talking about that. Before I do so, however, I wanted to go back and break down the value and the power and the authority and the necessity to fully understand that quote you read, if you don't mind. Sure, please. Walk implies intentional movement, right? Walk in a manner worthy. That means there's something sacred about you and about every individual that we have the power and the authority to to intentionally mobilize so that you have been individually called to. That means something in the creative order of the universe, right? I call it God, right? We call it God. I know it to be God, has set me apart to succeed in this intentionality because there's something sacred in me worthy that he's set apart for me individually, right? And I'm to do that with all humility. To do things like this in humility, we have to be willing to be humiliated. How do we become humble when we're humiliated? And that's a tough one. And gentleness with patience, bearing one another in love. Anticipate the weight of this intentionality, right? Mm-hmm. Of this of this journey, of this pilgrimage into relationships. Eager enthusiastic, right? To maintain unity of spirit, maintain unity. That means nothing. You have to fight for something not to divide you. It doesn't just happen naturally. So you're going to, we're going to be enthusiastic to maintain unity so that nothing can divide, right? With the spirit of peace. Peace happens when we are able to reconcile the conflict within ourselves and somehow we expect it to just happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love this particular reading that we shared with the audience today because when you really break it all down, you realize, wow, this is an important component of having healthy relationships. So with that, 
I think I'll just get started. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I just went while you were reading it. I was thinking, oh, I wanted to savor every word. So I wanted to take a minute to really break that down. Working with both patients and clients at the clinic, it occurred to me that the relationship we most often neglect, and we touched on this last week, is that between our own constituents, between our spirit, our soul, mind, heart, will, conscience, right? Feelings, and our body, and how that interacts in this significance, in, in, in this design, how those constituents, the spirit, the soul, the body, what's their purpose? How, what are they supposed to interact with, right? Mm -hmm. The question always goes to, wow, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. What's this about? So our relationship within ourselves and then our relationship and our questions to God, for God, about God. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first thing also that came to mind when you'd asked me to prepare to speak to this. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think one what we're really going to be touching on today is that relationship with ourselves and with God is heavily dictated by the relationships in our life. Exactly, because what's the greatest commandment? To love God with all your heart and with all your soul, right? Why? Because you're a spirit working through a soul in a body. Mm -hmm. And then what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have to have a working understanding of these constituents so that you can love others well. So I'm excited to delve into that a little bit today. Yes. So let's jump right in because I think this is going to be a really, really fun discussion for the listeners. So why? Why are relationships so crucial to having and achieving a vibrant life as a human? We perish without them. I think perhaps the greatest resource that I would direct our listening audience to is the work of Dr. Caroline Leaf. She speaks powerfully to this. We are hardwired to love and we are hardwired to relate to one another. This is congruent with laws of nature, things that are self-evident and speak to our natural affections. And in the course of these podcasts, I'm going to address those three things all the time because life and relationships can become very confusing very quickly. But when we look for that plumb line, what, is the, what are the laws of nature pertaining to this subject? What is self-evident about relationships? Well, I need people and they need me and we need each other. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And how does that represent our natural affections? Is it congruent with our natural affections? And I think those are three things that I'll be addressing and referring people to. Mm -hmm. But the work of Caroline Relief really just really breaks this down concisely and at length. We're not able to do that for this mm -hmm. podcast. Now, when do these relationships begin to impact us as humans? I'm glad you asked that question. As we discussed in the previous podcast, the relationship between our parents determines our biology. The psychology of the parents is a significant indicator as to the biology of the child. And I would refer our, the audience to the work of Dr. Homer and German New Medicine. 
he ex- he breaks this down at length. So it's really important to understand that in the most fundamental way, the story of our parents and the narrative of their lives when we were conceived has a significant impact on the relationship among our own constituents, our own body, Mm -hmm. and how we view the world and the world around us. So there's that whole component. So relationships begin to impact us greatly prior to and at conception. Mm -hmm. So even before we're born. Totally. The relationships around us. And we'll be having further discussions about this in podcasts Mm -hmm. to come. And by the way, we really break this down and discuss this during our rest events. So now, how can these familial relationships affect how we respond to our environment? Well, I like to touch on the previous question, which is when do relationships begin to impact us? Certainly from before conception, during conception, post-conception, and of course when we're born, But how can family relationships affect how we respond to our environment? I think the most important thing to understand that I access very quickly is in the most practical of ways is to determine how people love in that family. And again, I go back and I look at what the dynamic is between mom and dad. And there's five fundamental points of attachment I think understanding attachment and how we love is really significant. And to understand how we love, we have to understand what the family systems were at home. How did mom and dad love each other and love us? And what was that dynamic in the home? And there's five fundamental, easy ways to determine what that is. And that is, there's five fundamental attachment styles that determine or explain the level of reactivities that explain the nature of relationships in a home. So look at mom and dad, for example. What's their story? You know I'm big on story. Mm-hmm. It's all about the story, right? But what's the story with mom and where she grew up and her family? What's the story about dad and where he grew up and his family? And then begin to ask, how has that played out in our family? So I'm gonna give a good resource for everyone to determine this after the podcast, because these are great steps that everyone can take to begin to change dynamics in their relationships immediately. But it's really determining how we love. Depending on how our parents were loved, right? They bring those dynamics to some extent into their homes, right? Because mm-hmm. we're all a product to some extent of the homes we come from. But everyone has the capacity and the resources and the power and the authority to do what? To finish their leg of the race, right? To change the dynamics in their mm-hmm. homes. And I think we all, by and large, do. And by the way, all my patients and clients and people I work with, I see a significant shift for the better from where they came from to the things they've they've done and they've incorporated in their personal home. But since we're all hardwired with a measure of reactivity, understanding those reactivities, right, become very powerful. So here's what to look for. Were mom and dad victimized to some extent? Were there addictions in those homes? Both or each will tend to be 
a controller and a victim. Controller and the victim is about the same person. So how they handle stressors and relationships in the home will be from a victim and a controller kind of perspective. And again, all these things I'm going to be discussing, there's a spectrum, right, between one and ten. Mm-hmm. So we got to put this in perspective. We'll elaborate on this later on. The other one is a vacillator. Um, by the way, the controller-victim dynamic, there tends to be generally addictions in that home. And it's not a safe home, emotionally, physically, psychologically. Mm-hmm. The other attachment style, propensity, reactivity that one or both parents or the other parent might display is vacillating. Vacillating is a propensity to have high highs and low lows, completely unpredictable, and you don't know who you're going to encounter when you walk in the door. Sometimes we refer to them as being unstable, unpredictable, kind of, you know, maybe bipolar. That term is used so loosely, or Mm -hmm. borderline personalities. Sometimes people that are vacillators are viewed like that. Um, and that's in an, in an extreme situation. And then you have your pleaser. A pleaser grew up, oh, by the way, the vacillator um, came from a home where there was some form of abandonment. And that child, mom or dad, or perhaps yourself, um, is hypervigilant. And they don't know what's going to happen next. Life is very unpredictable. Mm, there wasn't consistency Exactly. So there's this high level of internal anxiety. All of these attachment styles, when they're not balanced, right, and when they're driven or or regulated by external circumstances, have a measure of anxiety. But the vacillator lives with a lot of anxiety because they don't know what to expect, Mm -hmm. when or how or what. Um, Then you have your pleaser. And a pleaser grew up in a home that was highly critical and fear-based home. And that child, whether we're talking about trying to understand mom and dad or even yourself, had a helicopter parent that micromanaged. And again, we don't have time to get into the dynamics Mm -hmm. that make up these homes. This is a brushstroke, very, very broad brushstroke. But it gives you an idea a little bit of what these relationships can look like, what these home situations can look like. And then the avoider. And the avoider grew up in a home where they had to be independent at an early age for whatever reason. And they're like islands. They don't understand why everybody can't just do what they do, take care of their own things and get over it and just do what needs to be done and just move on. So those kinds of dynamics in the home, understanding the profile of the parents can help you better understand why that parent is doing what they're doing. And if you can't identify that, perhaps you can relate to one of those dynamics in yourself. Mm-hmm. And we're going to break that down later. Yes. But um, how do we respond in these environments is a very important question but we need to understand what it is we're responding to. Mm -hmm. So when we're growing up in families where the relationships can be very negative, how can that then affect our emotional and maybe even physical health? 
That's a great question. Each of those things, the chaotic controller victim, the vacillator, the pleaser, and the avoider, right? In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with that. Because I think perhaps one of the most iconic universal people that ever lived was a person of Jesus Christ. He was a victim, right? Mm -hmm. He controlled, he was a strong leader. He vacillated a few times, he got ticked off, <laughs> right? He was in a pushover, mm -hmm. he was a person of deep conviction and a few times we know that he turned tables at the temple, for example, took on the establishment and heated debates and whatnot, right? He pleased, he sought, he had compassion and sought to be helpful and leave things better than he found them. And we know he avoided. He's known to often go to a quiet place and retreat, right? Mm -hmm. But none of those things were regulated by, were reactivities or were, was a reactive response to external circumstances, not one. All of those things were the fruit of deep conviction that came from the center that he always found in solitude and in prayer with who? With his dad, with God. Mm -hmm. So he had this center, this center, this core, this peace that surpassed all understanding. So when he engaged society and culture and people and things and circumstances, he wasn't regulated by a necessity to be reactive like we are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in certain situations. Yeah. He was regulated by this internal focus of control that this force field, I always call this spiritual. He had, he was so in alignment with this, with the spirit of God that it didn't deregulate him. Does that rather, make sense? Yeah, it's rather than like what many of us do, which is it's a reaction. It's almost we're mm -hmm. doing something and responding in a way before mm -hmm. we even realize that we're responding that way. So it's very reactive and almost unintentional versus seeing what's happening and choosing to respond in exactly. a certain way. Exactly. And that's where the will comes in. And we discussed some of this in the previous episode. And I think one of the closing things that we discussed, I don't remember exactly the context in which we put them, but we talked about the function of the will in the heart and in making decisions. And we talked about the necessity of pulling back the veil, of pulling back the veil, of accessing the truth about ourselves the truth and entering into that inner sanctuary of the spiritual mm -hmm. of the spiritual realm and looking at the truth about ourselves and about God and about our convictions and the things we believe and pulling back the veil of that so that what we can be reconciled within ourselves so we examine all these foundations about ourselves, our families, our life, and all these things you and I have discussed, right? Why? So we can explore the truth of all those things. Mm -hmm. For example, I might think my mom and dad hate me and I was never wanted, right? And like that girl, I think I talked about uh, a 27-year-old and that I wasn't wanted and that I was a mistake, right? 
But as we peeled back the truth of all those things, now she felt like she was losing her mind because it made no sense. But when we got to the truth of what was happening in the life of her parents before, during her, that time, that season when she was conceived, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So all of the sudden, the confusion, chaos, and the disease that she feels, she realizes was not her own. It was this thing that energetically, physiologically, genetically was passed on to her. So what happens? Boom. Just like that. It's Release, cleared. Mm -hmm. cleared. Mm -hmm. It's cleared. And for the listeners, you will have to go back to episode one to hear that really fascinating patient case study. But yes, it sounds like, and I think this is a concept many people don't always realize, is they understand how negative relationships can manifest in emotional pain. Mm -hmm. But many people don't always understand that negative relationships can also lead to physical illness within ourselves. Yes, and I'd like to clarify something. Thank you for bringing this up again. Because negative relationships or emotionals or ideas or a perception of them, the ideas we have in our mind, right, and how we process those things, they manifest physiologically and specifically neurologically. And I love the neuroconstitution and the neuroexpression of these conflicts because we have resources to go after them. For example, this gal, she was carrying all this conflict within her constitution, right? It was affecting her health. And when we were able to reconcile what her body is carrying by way of narrative and story and all that, and the experiences that were in conflict, right, with her parents and mm -hmm. her family's successful, wonderful, lovely life, she's thinking, what the heck is wrong with me? And it began to slowly erode the relationship she was having, right, between herself, her spirit, her soul, her body. She feels like she's losing her mind. And it began to impair the relationships she had with her family around her. Now she realized mom and dad were more chaotic, if you will, than she had anticipated. They both came from homes of alcoholics. They both had a measure of chaos in their life. So both of them were controllers and a victim. And they brought those relationships to bear in their marriage. And she was conceived in that chaos. So then when she uncovered the reality, she didn't hold that as judgment or shame over the heads of her parents. Instead, the pursuit, right, is to reconciling, why do I feel this way about myself? What's happening? And then the truth of their story cleared up the confusion of her own. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I love it. I love it. And I think that's a perfect segue into how can we begin to heal relational trauma? trauma. I yeah, I love, I love doing that more than anything. The best way we, that I know how, there may be many other ways, but the most effective and efficient way that I know how is to consult the body first. So I do two things. I listen very carefully to what people say to me. I listen with my heart, but I hear with my spirit and my body. So while I'm listening to you with my heart and my soul, and I'm tracking with everything you're saying, I'm watching what your body's telling me. And I'm listening 
and I'm looking to hear what the spiritual constitution of your trauma is revealing to me because it will be very different than the story that's coming out of your mouth. And I need to reconcile the conflict between those two narratives. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fantastic for me. It's one of the easiest things I do. That's why when I love meeting with people one-on-one because I can get a month's worth of work done. And I also am able to clear simultaneously with Evox and some of the resources I have what I call the tumbleweed that creates a confusion, the chaos, and this is in the anatomy of the body. Because the body's going to inform me about the disparity between the stories you've been telling yourself and what it's been carrying. And I'll give a few examples later on. Yes, and you, you'll you have to do an episode on Evox all in of itself because I think patients will be fascinated. Again, having worked with you before, mm-hmm. I can attest to the power of Evox and just as you said, how quickly it can create dramatic, dramatic change. Exactly. And that's what we want to do, right? We want to help everyone. Rest is about helping people experience freedom by examining the foundations that shape their life and exploring the truth of all of that. And that takes courage. It is not for the faint of heart. And by the way, we do not look back and live in the past. We consult the past for information to help us put this puzzle we're trying to together now. I kind of look at it, to be honest with you, as rest, this reconstitution approach, I kind of look at it like putting a puzzle together and I need 300 pieces. I know I need 300 pieces to complete the project. I need to... 100 from the spirit, 100 from the soul, and 100 from the body. And I need to make sure I adequately consult those three facets of a person's history, a person's experiences, and a person's constitution to put that puzzle together. Mm -hmm. And parents and relatives and ancestors, they've got all the cheat notes for us. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, we work with Sarah Sat um, and... Evox and some other resources to do that, but it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Because you, as you've said many times before, clearing some of those neurological obstructions is a key, mm-hmm. key, key factor. A hundred percent. And so the best way I can encourage patients, right, and clients alike to embark on this painful process is by personally, I have to listen with my heart. Then I need to be very careful to hear what they're really saying and what their body and their senses and their spirit is revealing. And then I need to clear out those obstructions, those neurological obstructions. And there's lots of ways, again, that we do that. And then I help them understand how they love those attachment styles. Mm -hmm. We visit mom and dad and dynamics of how they loved. I've been married almost 40 years, by the way, and I had six babies, Mm -hmm. five are living, and I do not look back and shame. This isn't about blaming or shaming. And then I, I help people understand the hunger of their soul because it's what drives the will. 
we talked in the first episode quite a bit about the will and the heart and the health of that heart driven by the will that accesses those you know the spiritual what's accessible to us in the spiritual world and we need to understand because it's that soul hunger and the hunger of our soul however you want to look at it it can be discussed either way but how it drives our lives Mm -hmm. and today you are actually sharing a couple patient Mm -hmm. patient case study is that correct yeah Mm -hmm. just you know marriage marriage is a primary it's a divine institution there's only three divine institutions that means that we find these in hieroglyphics hieroglyphics in caves and and from the beginning of time we see there's not an exception to three institutions that are the framework of society and that is the family the church and the state the nuclear family is where people get their identity right the church is, um, if you will, the faith, speaks to that spiritual facet. I'm not talking about it in terms of the traditional conventional church. I'm talking about it as a body of believers that share a conviction, a spiritual conviction about reality. And the state is civil government. So they're all spheres of government. The home is a sphere of government. Faith-based institutions are a sphere of government. And then civil government is a sphere of government that sustains the other spheres of government. But the foundational one is the family. So I want to talk about marriage today because marriage is governed by the role of the man, of a woman, and of a child, right? They create this triune being, right? Of course, you can have many children and whatnot, but you have a family. So the reason I wanted to address that in the context of relationships, because the power and the authority to set the tone of what happens in that primary sphere, right, a family, is is a relationship between a mom and a dad. And so in this particular case that I wanted to finish the discussion on relationships is is a man who came in, 57-year-old man, um, 43-year-old woman, married for 20-some years. He was so disgruntled, and he was desperate, and he was at the end of himself and just said, I just don't know what to do anymore, ready to throw his hands up in the air. And he went on to talk about his partner and explaining dynamics and situations about his partner and just thought, this is my last stop. I don't know what else to do. I've exhausted all my resources. I like to talk to couples together, not apart because I can get a lot more done in that little bit of time. But he was all I had access to at that moment. And as I scanned him while he was talking to me. With Evox. With Evox, because I wanted to see what the body was, what I needed to hear what his body had to say. And I needed to listen to what he needed to explain. And there was a vast difference between those two things. So the narrative that I got from the EVOC system, basically everything he was complaining about her was the things he was struggling with. Bullying with an intent to bring harm, insensitive, brash, short-tempered, and on and on and on and on and on. So it was really interesting. I could cut to the chase right then and right there and say, I hear what you're saying. That must have been very difficult. Let me tell you what your body's holding on to. And as I read to him what his body was holding on to, he just 
was stunned and is like, wow. So both things can't be true. And there's where we begin. I begin to help people understand how they love and perhaps the level of reactivity that they've been living with escaped their attention because reactivities are very quick and they override everything. And that's why bringing stability, balance, harmony, and coherence to the central nervous system becomes one of my major aims right day one. Mm -hmm. Because I need people to understand that perhaps their central nervous system and experiences and narratives and a lot of things that they don't fully understand, and some maybe they do, the consequence of bad decisions or whatnot, is overriding their central nervous system and their perception of what in fact is happening is a little bit skewed by their inability to see themselves clearly. I love that and it's there's so much we could break down in there and I'm sure we will in future episodes but can you share with the listeners what this week's tangible takeaway or action item is? Well as I'm sitting here speaking with you I just want to encourage everyone to attend a REST event. If they go to virginiadixon.com, there's a schedule of events that I think Natalie has posted or will be posting shortly for events that we do for an entire year. That would be, there are brief, short, a little more comprehensive, you know, just short, brief, good overview events, which is our afternoons of REST. And then we have a day of rest, which is an eight to 10 hour intensive at the villa where we really break down the the, um, rest, the reconstitution approach. And we explain the anatomy of our descent, how things break down and how to reconcile those things. Mm -hmm. It's kind of an intensive day. And then we have four, um, 40 days of rest. So it's two hours, once a week, And that's fantastic. And of course, we have three days private retreats where I work with people individually, and it's an intensive. Mm -hmm. Before I do those three-day intensives, though, I need to work people one-on-one with people individually one-on-one. That's the most significant thing, I would say, because it's integrative, it's efficient, it's effective, and we have great statistics on the return on our investment. But in the most practical of ways, right now, immediate, I should say, mm-hmm. things that people can do is Today. they can go to Relationship 180 and take the How We Love test, um, purchase the book, How We Love. I like it, although it talks about marriage relationships. If we're not in a marriage relationship, we certainly came from one or some kind of a relationship where we have a mother and a father, right? Anyway, so read that book. It's fantastic. It'll help you further understand your love style, how you love. And then um, there's another test. It's called the hunger test, I think, and it's online and by the book, Soul Hunger. It's fantastic. You can do a lot of work on relationships by understanding those two things, how you love and what drives you. And the last thing I think I would just reiterate, get in community, join our REST community, and begin to understand the complexities, yet the simplicity of stepping into this realm of rest and reconciling these conflicts. Mm. And for the listeners, 
be sure to check the show notes because we will always link any resources listed. So we will have links in the show notes to the day of rest, to the books that Virginia just mentioned, as well as the test she just mentioned. So to make it really, really simple for you all to right away apply what you're hearing in this episode. But with that, thank you again to all the thank listeners, you. Virginia. Thank you so much for sharing thank your you for, time and your knowledge. Thank you for facilitating this discussion. It was good. <laughs> well, it's it was wonderful. Always a pleasure to sit down with you. And with that, we will see you all next time. <laughs>